Where does Steve Sarkeesian rank amongst the top head coaches in college football? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college. Remember, terms and conditions do apply. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are ranking the top head coaches in college football while also answering the question, where does Steve Sarkeesian fit amongst those top coaches? Where does he rank amongst the elite in the sport right now? And some very interesting content over the last week on Locked on Longhorns, which produces some very interesting comments over the last week on Locked on Longhorns on my YouTube. So uh, some of my favorites over the last week, I'm reading and reacting to them in the last segment of today's show. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Where does Steve Sarkeesian rank amongst the elite in college football today, amongst the top head coaches? I got the inspiration for uh, the topic for today's show based on something I said last week um, when I was doing my Where Jonathan is Right, Where Jonathan is Wrong episode last Thursday. And I talked about how, you know, when I started covering, you know, this team on this podcast going into the 2022 season, um, CBS Sports does a top 50 list of head coaches every year. And I believe they had Steve Sarkeesian going into that season ranked 35th. And then after he went eight and five, I believe he jumped up to like between 21 and 24. I can't remember specifically, Um, but he was still, you know, kind of outside of the top 20 head coaches in college football. And I always felt like Steve Sarkeesian, you know, was well-respected and viewed as one of the, you know, better head coaches in college football. But there were certain plateaus on his resume that he had not achieved yet, right? Certain plateaus that are major milestones for, uh, you know, head coaches at this level, right? 10 win seasons, conference championships, and college football playoff appearances. So I always felt like we knew that Steve Sarkeesian could be one of the top head coaches in college football, but he just had to reach certain plateaus on his resume. And thankfully for Texas, he reached all three of those this year, right? And so because he did that, I know we still have games to play, you know, um, this season, I thought to come back and reevaluate this list, right? I don't have time to wait for CBS Sports to do it over the summer. I'll do it now, right? I'll do it today. And so I ranked the top head coaches in college football until I got to Steve Sarkeesian. And that's where I ended my list. He ended up just outside of the top 10. I wanted to make it a top 10 list, but there was just 10 brothers ahead of him, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, I had to be, uh, you know, somewhat unbiased in fear. So it's a top 11 list because that's where Steve Sarkeesian uh, fell in. And we don't do suspense here on Locked on Longhorn. So I'm going to tell you the 11 right now so you can hop in the YouTube comments and argue with me without even hearing my justification over the next 20 minutes because that's how YouTube works anyway, right? So Nick Saban, the GOAT, I have him at number one. Kirby Smart, number two. Jim Harbaugh, number three. Mike Norvell, number four. Dabo Sweeney, number five. Lincoln Riley, number six. Kyle Whittingham, number seven. Brian Kelly, number eight. Ryan Day, number nine. Kalen DeBoer, number 10, and Steve Sarkeesian, number 11. I will start with Steve Sarkeesian, give him my analysis, and then work my way down all the way to Nick Saban at number one. Now, before I get into Steve Sarkeesian and what makes him a fringe top 10 coach in college football at this point, 
I want to mention some OGs, right? This was a very tough list to make. And obviously I had to leave some, you know, great coaches off of the list or they didn't crack the top 11, right? Mac Brown won a national championship at the University of Texas, one of the best coaches in the sport over, uh, you know, the last 20 to 30 years. And he's done a really, you know, respectable job at North Carolina. They've really had some fun teams there, but they haven't had any teams that, um, you know, had a, you know, necessarily high ceiling at North Carolina or teams that we felt like could go out and win it at the highest level. And I feel like the 10 coaches on the list or the 11 coaches on the list I have ahead of Mac Brown have had that type of success or have had those type of teams in recent memory. So Mac Brown has been one of the best coaches over the last 30 years, but right now I would not say he's a top 11 coach in college football. Mike Gundy and Kirk Ferentz, two OGs who have been, you know, Great coaches for the last 20 years at their respective universities, Oklahoma State and Iowa. Um, they both have won conference championships, Mike Gundy in 2011. Um, I think Kirk Ferentz has a couple at Iowa, but neither one of them have had those high-end teams that we felt like could win national championships, maybe outside of one or two flash-in-the-pan years at those two schools. So Kirk Ferentz, Mike Gundy, and Mac Brown are some of the best coaches in college football overall when you look at their resume. But right now I have them outside of the top 11. Now, starting with Steve Sarkeesian, he is 71-48 and 48 across Washington, USC, and Texas. Some of the highlights, including taking a zero-win team at Washington and taking them to five wins, which is very hard to do as Coach Prime. Right? He couldn't do that with two of the best players in college football. He won nine games in his first season at USC, was dismissed in his second season at USC. We all know why. And in his third year at Texas, got his first conference championship, his first 10-win season, and his first college football playoff appearance in the four-team bracket, which means something, right? And, you know, I know this is a coordinator thing, but I'm biased. It's Steve Sarkeesian led maybe the greatest college football offense of all time at Alabama in 2020. So based on what Steve Sarkeesian did this year, based on what he's accomplished in the past, and based on what the trajectory of this Texas football team looks like over the next few years in the SEC, I'm more than comfortable with saying Steve Sarkeesian is a top 11 fringe top 10 coach in college football right now. Number 10, I got Kalen DeBoer. I promised I wanted to put Sark at uh, at number 10, but I saw this brother's resume and I was like, man, it cannot be ignored. He has been dominant as a head coach. 103 and 11 as a head coach. Kalen DeBoer, this is Washington. Sorry, I should have said that. I know he's not a household name yet, but give the brother some time, right? Uh, he's winning um, almost 90% of his games. If that's not 90%, right? I didn't even do the percentage, but 103 and 11 is crazy. And when he got to the power five level, he did not miss a beat. 24 and two as the head coach at Washington over the last two years, Washington was a four win football team in 2021. So it's him. <laughs> so it's him and Michael Penix Jr. Right. Those are the, the uncommon denominators, I guess. Right. From 2021 to 2022. And Washington is currently on a 20 game win streak. He has been a head coach for nine years. He has seven double digit win seasons in nine of those years. And he has three national championships at Sioux Falls at the lower level. I do not know where Sioux Falls is. I just know he was over there running it up, right? <laughs> like I said, in two years as a power five head coach, 24 wins, a 13-0 conference championship season, and one college football playoff appearance. So everywhere he's gone, he's won at a dominant level, and he stepped into the power five and did not miss a beat. And that's why I have Kalen DeBoer a step above Steve Sarkeesian because he's been able to accomplish just a little bit more than Sark in just two years at the power five level. Ryan Day um, at number nine. I know this one is going to be a little bit controversial. A lot of people like to say that, you know, Ryan Day was born on third base and, you know, it's Ohio State. You know what I mean? And, you know, a lot of the perception about Ryan Day is, you know, he can't beat Michigan and he's just some loser who has the luckiest job in the world. Right. And I think that 
Ryan Day is a hell of a coach, but he's at a school like the Ohio State, one of the most premier programs in sports, really not even in college, right? This is one of the most premier programs in sports where really only one game matters on your schedule, right? So Ryan Day is 56 and seven as a head coach at the Ohio State University, the Ohio State University. But because he's lost three games in a row to Michigan, it's like, oh, he can't coach. He is 56 and seven head coach at the Ohio State University. So I think that it's just more about the standard that Ohio State has for their coaches rather than Ryan Day's lack of an ability to coach. Right. And when you look at his resume, he is undoubtedly a top 10 coach in the sport right now. He has two conference championships four college football playoff appearances. He has one national championship appearance. And last year, I'm going to say this. He was a missed field goal away from beating the hell out of TCU. I probably shouldn't have said the hell and TCU in the same sentence, but he was beating it from beating the crap out of TCU in the national championship last year. Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt in that game. It still came down to a field goal for Ohio State to kick it, win it, and play TCU in the national championship. And they missed it, and the rest is history. Georgia goes on to win that game by 50-plus points. But Ohio State would have won that game too. And so if the only difference between Ryan Day being a good coach and being some lucky loser who just happens to be at Ohio State is his kicker missing a field goal against Georgia last year, and he's only lost seven games since 2019 with four college football playoff appearances, then yes, I certainly think Ryan Day is one of the 10 best head coaches in the sport. It may not be good enough for Ohio State and Ohio State fans, but there are 128 college football teams that probably be knocking on the door for Ryan Day right now if he was let go. He is that good. Four 10-win seasons in four full years. Don't let the expectations at Ohio State fool you. He's a good coach. Brian Kelly at number eight. Uh, if this brother was to win a national championship, I probably have to put him a little bit higher because he has a hell of a resume. 282 wins, 103 losses, two ties across five schools, nine conference championships, and he spent 12 years at Notre Dame. Right, So a lot of those years, he wasn't even eligible to win um, a conference championship, one national championship appearance with Notre Dame and the two college football playoff appearances. Unfortunately, he was 0-3 in those games. He has 13 double-digit win seasons as a head coach and led LSU to the SEC championship in just his first game there after Ed Orgeron somehow <laughs> ruined one of the best programs in college football, Brian Kelly got them right back into contention um, and then had a Heisman winner in his second year at LSU. So Brian Kelly, one of the best coaches in the country, had him coming in at number eight on the list. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we get with Kyle Whittingham at seven, all the way down to Nick Saban at number one. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the right people to help find right professionals for your team faster and for free. So post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College. That's LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College to post your job for free. Remember, terms and conditions do apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
So Kyle Whittingham may be the only coach in my top 11 that has not made um, the college football playoff yet. But we all know, you know, that watch college football. We think of Utah as one of the most respectable programs in college football. And that's largely because Kyle Whittingham, um, a lot of people don't know that he took over directly after Urban Meyer. Right. Urban Meyer has been at four different stops since then. And Kyle Whittingham has been at Utah since uh, 2005, 162 wins and 78 losses, a three-time conference champion with two of those coming in the last three years, especially last year, knocking off um, Caleb Williams in USC, right? That was a really good win. He had a 13 and 0 season with the new year, six sugar bowl win in 2008 and seven, 10 win seasons and 18 full years at Utah. And although he hasn't had, the college football playoff appearance or high end success just yet. You know, I mean, he's had some 11 and two conference championship teams, but you're talking about competing for national championships with Cam rising and with his experience in college football coming back next year, um, what this Utah team has and just the way that they play in the trenches year in and year out. And with the physicality they play with, I think they certainly have the leg up to win the big 12 next year. They should be one of the best teams in the big 12 next year. They should find a way into the 12 team college football playoff. And I am not doubting Cam Rising, Kyle Whittingham at all if they get into a situation where they have to win two or three games to win a national championship. So Kyle Whittingham might be my only top 11 coach right now without a college football playoff appearance, but that will come. But I don't think there's any doubt that he's one of the 11 best coaches in college football. Lincoln Riley, uh, I got him at number six. I know he's coming off of a down year and a lot of people are pouring on Lincoln Riley. He might not seem like he's the sixth best coach in college football right now, but I'm going to give him some grace, right? He went seven and five. I think a lot of that had to do with um, when the defense just sucks right? and they don't play with the, uh, you know, the mentality of a great defense or just a team that wants to win games in the trenches, period. Um, but two, I also think that this was a team that had, you know, national championship and college football playoff aspirations the entire year. And college football can be deflating when you lose two games and you essentially know that the whole perception of your season has changed. And so this USC team was way too talented and way too good to lose five games. I just essentially think they quit. Now you can blame Lincoln Riley for that and say, why did the team quit? And why did they not go out there and play at the highest level when they felt like they had nothing to play for? I'm not sure. Right. If we're just talking resumes, I still think Lincoln Riley has a top six resume in college football when it comes to coaches, 73 and 18 as a head coach across Oklahoma and USC. You could say that, you know, he was set up well for success at Oklahoma, but he carried it on right Four conference championships and three playoff appearances, although he was 0-3 in those playoff appearances. He still got there three times. He also coached three Heisman winners and Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Caleb Williams. And he has five double-digit win seasons in seven years of coaching. So Lincoln Riley had a down year. That team is still loaded, and I expect them to be right back on top uh, next year. Lincoln Riley is still a good coach, right? Don't <laughs> don't write him off just yet, even though I know, you know, obviously I'm, I'm preaching to a choir that hates Lincoln Riley. <laughs> so Dab is, Dabo Sweeney, um, I got him at number five. Um, that's probably a little bit questionable based on what's happened the last couple of years. But I think the demise of Clemson and Dabo Sweeney has been overblown a little bit. First of all, I mean, when you talk about the resume, who wouldn't kill for this resume? 169 wins and 43 losses as the head coach at Clemson. Two national championship victories, three appearances, eight conference championships in the ACC and 12 straight 10 win seasons from 2011 to 2022. You're talking about, you know, Alabama territory there winning 10 straight games for over a decade at a program like Clemson in South Carolina. I mean, it's not no, you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, no low tier program or anything like that, but it's in South Carolina. Like, I don't know. South Carolina is just a super appealing state. Not that I know of. Right. 
And in 2023, they went eight and four, which was his worst year since 2018, right? Or, or not even, no, 2008, I believe. Yeah, because they had went since 10th Street. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down wrong, sorry. So in 2023, they went eight and four, which was his worst year since 2008, right? And eight and four was his worst year in over a decade. So if Dabo Sweeney, you know, adjusts and gets out of his own way and taps into NIL in the transfer portal, then I definitely think you can see Clemson at the top of college football again, competing for conference and national championships. But, you know, that's a big if because, you know, he said that, you know, <laughs> his program is built through God's name, image and likeness. And he has snubbed his nose at the transfer portal anytime he's been asked about it. So we'll see. You know, like I said on yesterday's episode, adapt or die. But if Dabo Swinney adapts, Clemson is right back in the national championship conversation. Mike Norville, I got him at number four, 69 and 31 across Memphis and Florida State. He started off eight and 13 at Florida State trying to fix that mess that Jimbo Fisher left over. But since then, he is well, not even Jimbo Fisher. He wasn't the, the, the last coach at Florida State, but they hadn't recovered since the glory days at uh, Florida State under Jimbo Fisher. And Mike Norville started off eight and 13 there. But since then, he went 23 and three in the last two years at Florida State. And that included a 13 and 0 conference championship this year and should have been a playoff appearance. You know, we have never seen an undefeated power five conference champion get left out of the college football playoffs until this year. And I've been on record multiple times. I'll say it again. I think that the college football playoff committee got it right and put the four best teams in. But that does not mean that an undefeated power five cha- uh, power five champion yeah undefeated power five conference champion should be left out of the playoffs so he went out and did something on his resume that should have earned him a college football playoff appearance so i can't look at him and say well he doesn't have one when i mean he went out there and went 13 and 0 and won the acc right and any other year that would have got him into the playoffs and of course moving forward when they move to 12 teams florida state should be in the playoffs perennially jim harbaugh number three 142 and 52 across san diego stanford and michigan five conference championships three at michigan and what i love about jim harbaugh is he has coached long enough to change the narrative completely right do you remember it was just really not even three it was like two and a half years ago where uh, Jim Harbaugh couldn't win the big game at Michigan, right? And the narrative was that he could not beat Michigan State and he could not beat Ohio State because they had just lost to Ohio State in 2020 for however many years in a row. And then he lost to Michigan State in the regular season in 2021, right? So there were narratives just two years ago that he could not win the big game. But then he ended up beating Ohio State that year. He's beaten them three years in a row, has not lost to Michigan State since then. Obviously, Michigan State has fallen off the you know face of the earth. And the only two games he's lost since that Michigan State game in 2021 were games in the college football playoffs to Georgia, who ended up going on to win the national championship and then a bad loss to TCU. But I can't blame somebody for their two losses in the last two years being in the college football playoffs. So Jim Harbaugh has coached long enough to change the narrative from being not able to win the big game to being the third best coach in college football, in my opinion. Once again, five conference championships, three the last three years at Michigan with three college football playoff appearances. So Jim Harbaugh certainly in the top three in a championship I don't know if it'll put him over Kirby Smart because I guess Kirby Smart has two. So he's kind of stuck at that number three spot. But a championship would go a long way from Michigan and Jim Harbaugh for them to believe who they think they are, right, in college football. Kirby Smart, number two. 
93 is 16 at Georgia since 2016. So he's been great um, at his alma mater. I also think he deserves a ton of credit for the Alabama, you know, dynasty and the Alabama success story because he was Dick Saban's defensive coordinator for the first eight years at Alabama. Right. So they had some of the greatest defenses of all time. And then he's carried that over to Georgia where they've had some of the greatest defenses of all time. So I think you have to give Kirby Smart some resemblance of credit for that Alabama uh, run, you know, just a little bit. Right. I think he helped out Nick Saban just a little bit. Lost two football games in the last three seasons, both to Alabama and Nick Saban, his mentor. Right. So that's his only kryptonite. And uh, he's also beaten him in a national championship since then. Right. Two national championship victories and three appearances and then two conference championships at the University of Georgia. Uh, Many people said Kirby Smart had eclipsed, you know, Nick Saban as the best coach in the best program in college football right now. And then Nick Saban just continues to prove he won't go away, beating Georgia this year to knock them out the playoffs and secure the SEC championship and get to the college football playoffs once again. And that's why Nick Saban is my number one coach in college football. And there is a lot of room between him and number two, because Nick Saban might be the greatest of all time, not just in the sport right now. 292 wins, 70 losses, and one tie across Toledo, Michigan State, LSU, and Alabama. Seven national championships as a head coach, all coming in the SEC, right? One at LSU and six at Alabama, 12 conference championships, and they have won 10 games every year at Alabama since I was a sophomore in high school. I just turned 30 in September. That is over a decade of dominance and the best dynasty we've seen outside of the New England Patriots in our lifetime. I don't know. I shouldn't speak for everybody, I guess, because I'm 30 years old, but the best dynasty I've seen in my lifetime outside of the New England New England Patriots. And also, he has had four Heisman winners at Alabama since 2007. So if my math is correct, that's around 25% of the Heisman winners since he's been the head coach at Alabama have been from the University of Alabama. So Nick Saban, um, greatest coach of all time, in my opinion, certainly the greatest coach in college football right now. And once again, he's two games away from winning another national championship and putting eight on his resume, which is insane. A quick word from our sponsors. Well, let me recap the list, right? If you've listened this far and don't remember uh, the the full top 11. It was Nick Saban, number one, Kirby Smart, number two, Jim Harbaugh, number three, Mike Norvell, number four, Dabo Sweeney, number five, Lincoln Riley, number six, Kyle Whittingham, number seven, Brian Kelly, number eight, Ryan Day, number nine, Kalen DeBoer, number 10, and Steve Sarkeesian at number 11. So you probably already argued with me in the comments. You probably already told me why I was wrong. But if you listen this far, you know, and respected the analysis, then let me know. Was I right? Was I wrong? Is Steve Sarkeesian too high? Am I being biased? Is Steve Sarkeesian too low? Where do you have him? Ranked amongst the top head coaches in college football. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the National Football League. All right, so the easiest third segment in the world, right? Whenever I, when I can't think of, you know, what to talk about, I just let y'all do the talking for me, essentially. Um, so, like I said, you know, some really interesting content, uh, content over the last week on 
uh, Locked on Longhorns. I did, you know, the recap show of us winning the Big 12 and, you know, getting the announcement we're going to the college football playoff. I ranked all four teams in the playoffs offensively and defensively. Um, a lot of research for those episodes and a lot of good, you know, commentary on those episodes. I was proud of those. Um, and I did my where Jonathan was was right and where Jonathan was wrong with my preseason expectations um, going into the season. And then yesterday, what did I do on yesterday's show? So you put out so much content, you can't even remember, right? I'm trying to think, what was the theme of yesterday's show? Oh, the transfer portal, right? Who Texas should target in the transfer portal. And I also talked about Jaden Daniels, or who Texas is targeting in the transfer portal. I also talked about Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman. Um, and then my reaction to the Doak Walker Award, the Belenikoff, and the Outland Trophy by Texas very own Tavondre Sweat. All right, so like I said, some really interesting content over the last week. And that content has produced these comments on Locked on Longhorns. Sark has definitely utilized the portal in NIL positively and in a balanced way to promote development of the younger athletes. Juxtaposed is, in my opinion, Colorado, who is going way too hard on the portal. This unbalanced use could show a lack of ability or care to develop and promote a long term successful program. I think that's an amazing comment, something I really hadn't thought about. You know, Steve Sarkeesian is building it the organic way and then using the transfer portal to supplement what we you know, don't have from the high school ranks. But the foundation of our football team, the development of our football team is coming from those high school classes. Right. And the transfer portal has just kind of been the, the cherry on top for the University of Texas, where our program like Colorado is relying on the transfer portal every year to build a contending football team. Right. And they're not really bringing in a foundation or bringing in great players in the high school ranks. So you're looking at a team and a program like Colorado who has to build chemistry every year. They have to build camaraderie every year. They have to build their culture every year because you're bringing in new, completely different football players every year. So, um, you know, there's just a lot, you know, a turnover at Colorado. And I think, you know, you're going to see um, the result of that turnover on the field where Steve Sarkeesian and other programs are using NIL and the transfer portal to build a sustained you know, juggernaut of winning, right? That can last for years to come because you're recruiting really well at the high school level and then using tra the transfer portal to fill those holes in your roster rather than trying to use the transfer portal to build your entire roster. So that was a good comment from B-E-K-U-N-D, Vikunde. I'm not sure how to say that, right? Alan Watts, 2210, uh, one of my favorite subscribers. He's been with me for a minute. I got name recognition uh, name recognition now when I see him come up in the comments. So this was about Andrew Makuba, the safety from Clemson uh, from um, Austin. He went to LBJ, and Texas is targeting him in the transfer portal right now. This is from Alan Watts. Makuba's 40-meter time is 4.33 seconds. That's what I'm talking about, exclamation point. I imagine he knows how to look over his shoulder too, referring to looking for the ball when it's in the air. Welcome home, son. Like I, I legit laughed out loud when I read this comment, Alan. So good job. You know, glad you made it on the show. This is from Drake Johnson, 295. I really don't know, bro. How you not up there with inside Texas and orange bloods? Your shit is thorough, articulate, and straight to the point. I'm not sure, brother. You know what I'm saying? You know, God got for me what God got for me. And I'm just blessed to be here and doing this show on Locked on Longhorns, man. James Davis, 2106, great breakdown of all four teams' offense. Jonathan, go dogs. You know, I, I wanted to include this in the show because Washington fans have been on me a little bit. Uh, did not realize Washington fans are as spicy as they are, right? I've been seeing them on Twitter. They've been in my YouTube comments talking trash. I haven't even picked the game between Texas and Washington yet. I haven't even said who I think is going to win. And y'all know I don't hesitate to come on here and say 
Texas is going to lose if I think Texas is going to lose, right? I did it twice this year. It was wrong. So I don't know why Washington fans are in my comments calling me biased and acting like I'm the worst talking head Texas fan ever when I'm the furthest thing from that. So it was refreshing to see a uh, you know, Washington fan to give me props. Now, here's another Washington fan, stinking badges, <laughs> I guess, or, or Wisconsin, wherever he's from. From experience, if Shark says he is just going to visit a friend at another high-ranking school, start looking for another coach. Uh, I think he's pretty locked in at the University of Texas, but thank you for the warning. And then the last comment, I had to get this in on the show. Brian Martin, 8700, great content as always. I'd have to think long and hard about my favorite moments of the season, but my favorite moment of the Big 12 championship game is easy. It was seeing Jonathan Brooks on the field for the last play of the game. What an awesome gesture by Sark to a young man who has meant so much for the team. My wife almost teared up when I explained to her why he was out there. Can't wait for the Sugar Bowl. Hook him. I really appreciate that comment. I really appreciate that support. And I could just picture, um, you know, you and your wife getting emotional, looking at Jonathan Brooks, you know, after dealing with that injury and being able to stand on the field um, and take that last snap and, you know, get the ball tossed to him in the Big 12 championship game. So, I really appreciated this comment. I damn near teared up reading it, and I definitely wanted to end another good episode of Locked on Longhorns with a really good message from Brian Martin, 8700. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace.